Welcome to Customer Service Academy Radio with author and customer experience expert, Tony Johnson. Tony will share his vision for successful customer service, leadership, and business excellence, and speak to some of the most impactful leaders in business today. And now, here's Tony Johnson. Hello, everybody. Customer Service Academy is back on the air. I'm Tony Johnson, your customer experience leader. Today's episode brought to you courtesy of IgniteYourService.com training and consulting. And folks, I want to tell you, I have a special offer for you as we are in the middle of the great service comeback. It is an outstanding piece that all 50 states have made some measure toward reopening their doors. I am offering a free 45-minute consultation. You can go to IgniteYourService.com comeback, and you can fill out a form, get on my calendar. We will talk strategy. We will talk comeback. We will talk customer engagement and sales growth. I promise you it will be a great use of your time. So again, make sure you take a chance to do that. But as usual, I've yammered on much too long already. I'm going to bring in my guest today. I've got Bill Redwine here who... Let me just, you know, just take a step back here. Bill has a storied career, I think, in the higher education space, as well as many other things. And I'm looking forward to really picking his brain today. He has been a huge proponent of, of technology, of education, of a student and guest focus. I have learned a lot from him over the years. Most recently, he was Moorhead State's uh, Assistant Vice President for Auxiliary Services. And let me tell you, on college campuses, this position makes things go. Talk about bookstore, talk about parking, talk about food service, by the way, the stuff you know people complain about, but, but, but also really an opportunity to drive revenue and experience on a college campus, along with things like the post office, the card office, environmental health and safety, it, just amazing stuff. Also, you know, you know, Bill is a Moorhead State alum himself and, and a, a past president of the National Association of College Auxiliary Services. And that's a big deal because this, again, is all of those pieces of a college campus that really do take care of, of, of the customer the student needs. He's a, a writer of many articles on, on higher education and on technology. And more importantly, I think maybe than anything, you know, and I've known Bill a long time, he has just been so active in the community. I'm sure he'll talk more about that. But, but 26 years on the Round County Board of Education, a part of the Optimist Club, the Chamber of Commerce. You talk about stuff that makes, makes a community go. Just, just some fantastic things. He's also currently a, a Democratic candidate for the state representative spot in, in the Kentucky 99th, and I'm sure he's going to mention that as well. So all that said, Bill, it is so great to have you here. Welcome on board. Thanks, Tony. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, very, very flattered that, uh, uh, that you invited me to, to be on this show. It's uh, been following you and your career since you left Moorhead State, and I'm, uh, I, I'm really proud uh, that we got to, got to have our paths cross uh, those few years ago when you were at Moorhead State, and uh, it's, it's great to have an opportunity to talk to you. Well, and I appreciate that. And, and as I've told everybody, I've got a background in retail and restaurants, which and I think everybody should be obligated to work at least a year in a restaurant, because I think you'd be a lot nicer and tip a lot better if you ever had to do that. But also, I learned how to serve people and take care of folks from a very young age. And, and I was, by the way, the best drive through person at the Decatur, Indiana Taco Bell they have ever seen when I was 17 years old. Um, but all that said, you know, I really want to want to jump in here, you know, and, and really get get some some questions out of the way because I'm really looking forward to picking your brain. Um, what has brought you, you know, so much joy from that higher education space? You, you know, just to kind of tee it up, you spent a lot of years in the higher ed space. What what kept bringing you back every year, Bill? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I spent 38 years uh, at, at, in, in higher ed and all of that experience at Moorhead State. Uh, I started out in the development office uh, as a fundraiser and moved from there to uh, alumni relations and then alumni relations and development. And from there, I, I you know, spent a lot of time traveling and, and raising money for the university, had the first ever uh, $2 million a year in, the, in annual giving for the institution. So pretty proud of that but what and then made the shift over to uh, auxiliary services and the, the business side of the house to try to <laughs> try to try to do things there and but, but what kept me coming back without a doubt was the kids the, the students uh, you know when I was in alumni relations and development I had some interaction with students, with student alumni ambassadors and, and, and that group, but, but when I made the shift to auxiliary services and we were, you know, walking that fine line of providing exemplary services and, and products for the students while balancing, keeping it cost effective for them and for their parents and, and not, you know, not get into the situation of, of price gouging uh, because they were a captive audience, which, you know, we, we, a lot of times uh, food operations, bookstores get, get accused of, well, you just charge that because we're here. Because you can, right? Because you can, and you know, and, and we we know that that's that's not not true. But but seeing the satisfaction uh, on the faces of those students when they came back to school, you know, in August to start the fall semester and seeing the excitement of, you know, they hadn't seen each other, if they were upperclassmen particularly, uh, they hadn't seen each other since they, they left in May, and they were glad to get back together and, and uh, you know, yeah, maybe have a fraternity party and uh, do those things just to kind of kick the, kick the semester off. But it was as exciting for me to get to see those, those students come back also. Almost through the right? Uh, absolutely. And, and I, I always said, that's what, that's what, that's what keeps me young. I uh, was interacting with those students. You know, my wife had a had a very storied career in, in student activities and student life at, at Moorhead State. She was director of student activities. She was uh, chair of the board of NACA, the National Activities uh, Association, uh, was manager of the student center. So the two of us uh, through, you know, she was there 32 or 33 years. I was there wow. 38 years. So between the two of us, we we literally crossed paths with thousands and thousands sure. of students uh, when you figure that that there's you know 1100 to 1400 graduates from Moorhead State undergraduates every year so that you know multiplied by all those years we interacted with a lot of students so that that tees up the first question pretty well so you know over the course of serving so many people taking care of so many people and probably making memories for so many people you know, what does good customer service mean to you when you think about whether it's what you want to provide to those that you served all those years or what you're looking for yourself? What does good service mean to you, Bill? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, efficient, cordial, organized, those, you know, those key words pop up. But I think the, the bottom line is, is good customer service is service that is better than was expected. If you can provide it to me, if you can provide service, whether it's whether it's at the, the steak and shake counter or Moe's or Chick-fil-A or at the bookstore and the students are there and they can come in and they can get in and out with a good product in a timely fashion for what they think is a fair price and you have a smile on your face when you're serving them, then that's better than expected. 
because we we always said that it doesn't matter what what service we were providing the comparison of good customer service was going to be the last business that they did business with whether it was ups or whether it was a bank downtown or whether it was a, a barber shop or a hair salon if they got treated nice there then when they came to campus and went to you know one of the food locations or came to the bookstore that's who you're going to be compared to so you need to be on your best game all the time bill said there that's so impactful you probably heard us talk about it folks out there is is your competition is anybody that your customer could compare you to or has done business with. And it doesn't absolutely. matter whether they're in your lane or not. Absolutely. A absolutely. And for, for a lot of, I think for a lot of times for young folks that are, you know, getting in the customer service business, that sometimes that's hard to understand and it's yeah. hard to grasp that, well, you know, well, you, I, I'm, I'm working in the bookstore and I'm getting textbooks for people. How does that compare to getting your haircut? Well, you're doing it with a smile and you're That's doing right. it efficiently and you're, you know, you're being nice to them. And, and that's the whole thing. And, you know, some people, you know, some customers um, can be not nice, <laughs> <laughs> not nice sometimes. And it, and it, it's, it's a lot of times it's difficult uh, to, you know, maintain your composure and, and maintain that nicety yourself. But at the end of the day, that's what you've got to do. Now, I'm not saying to the point of taking abuse and, sure. and, and that kind of thing, you've got to, you've got to draw a line in the sand sometimes. And that's where during like back to school uh, book rush, uh, back to school meal plan rush when we had lines and everything. That's one of the things that I always told people as, as an AVP, I would be asked, well, what's your management style? My management style is MBWA, management by walking around. Nice. And, you know, you, you remember, Tony, when you were with us, at Moorhead State, I was as comfortable in the back of the house in the kitchen talking right. to the cooks and the chefs and everybody as I was anywhere else. And that's the same way I was with my whole operation. And a lot of that had to do with what I wanted to see in customer service is that I wanted to see how people were interacting with students, how they were interacting with faculty. And then if I saw that there was a hot spot, you know, developing or something, I could intervene and kind of diffuse the situation and smooth it out. And then we could talk about it later. You know, and that actually comes down, I think, maybe into the next couple of, of questions I was going to hit you with, which are, you know, what do you do to keep your team engaged? And I bet you that MBWA has a little bit to do with that. And, and what makes a great leader? So from a leadership and engagement perspective, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about your leadership and how you keep a team engaged? Yeah, and, and that's that's what I, I, well, I always like the MBWA, uh, you know, description that, you know, you, you were talking about my bio, all the things that I was involved in, you know, environmental health and safety that included fire alarms in the middle of the night. And, you know, there was a lot of times that at two or three o'clock in the morning, I would roll out of bed and, you know, respond to campus to a residence hall with the fire department so that I could be there and make sure that the hall directors were doing their thing with getting the students out, that the fire department was doing their thing because I was that liaison between the campus and the fire department and, you know, the city folks with, with doing that. So I wanted to make sure that everybody was, was good. But 
you know, I, I think keeping people uh, energized and keeping them engaged is it has a lot to do with praise. And, you know, I, I always, always made it a point that particularly after big events, big weekends, I always like to put things in writing to, you know, the food service folks, you know, if you did a good job at homecoming and you, you know, you served, you know, a thousand meals over that weekend, you know, I won't tell you, you did a good job. Right. And I'm going to tell you in writing and I'm going to copy in that, in that email that I send to you, I'm going to copy the regional guys. And if I've got somebody in Philadelphia, I'm going to copy them too, because I want them to know that the team we have on the ground is doing a good job and is providing the services and the, the, the customer opportunities that they are. And then being accessible. I want, I always made it a point to be accessible to the frontline staff. If, if they've got a question about how to deal with something, they've got a question about what's going on. I want them to be comfortable with coming to me and talking to me about it. Or if they've even got, if they've got problems at, at home, that impacts the way that they conduct their job. I want them to be comfortable with me to be able to talk to me. If they just need a shoulder to cry on, if they need a shoulder to lean on, then come to me and I'm going to take the time to do that. That's that MBWA because if, if the frontline folks in any of the operations only see me when there's a problem, then how do I motivate them? I want them. I want them to see me when there's good things going on too. I want them to see. Oh gosh, here we go again, right? Exactly, exactly. And that you know, intimidation and fear is not the way to run an operation. And but yet, I've seen countless numbers of locations at, at other institutions and other organizations that that's how they think they need to motivate people is through fear and intimidation. I, I worked when I was in college. I've, I've told this story countless times. When I was in college, I worked summers on a highway construction crew laying blacktop. Great job. I love that work. I got to meet some really neat guys. And my daughter makes fun of me to this day when we're driving down the road and we get stopped in a, in a paving construction. I'll roll the window down so I can smell the fresh asphalt because I love the smell of it from those, those three summers right. working there. But one of, the, one of the companies that we worked with was a family-owned company. They had a guy who was one of the co-owners. He would fire somebody every week just so he could keep everybody else's attention. And, wow. and, and, and if you ask him, he would tell you that. He said, he said I want them to think that they might be the next ones. Okay, if that works for you, but that doesn't work for me. I want them to think that I don't want them to leave. I want them to stay with me forever. And if they do leave, I want them to leave to go to a better opportunity because of how I've prepared them during the time with me. And I love that. And I will tell you, folks, uh, you, you could know uh, back in the day at the Moorhead State University, if you walked down and you could see Bill's office from the hallway uh, at one point. And, and if you walked in and you saw, you peek into Bill's office, you could see him sitting behind his desk. And the rule was if Bill wasn't talking to somebody else and the door was open and he wasn't on the phone, you could walk up and knock on the door. He might tell you to get back to him later, but you always had that permission to do that. And everybody on campus knew it. So yep. that, that, that's not just lip service. And before we jump into our, our next question, I just want to let everybody know a lot of the tactics Bill's talking about 
are good old-fashioned leadership 101 tactics that people have forgotten about over the years. So if you want to brush up on some of those, take a, take a minute to check out my book, Together We Serve. You can get that on Amazon.com, audiobook, and get it on ebook. If you like good old-fashioned paperback, you can do that. I'll actually be sending Bill as a thank you for being on today. He's actually going to get a link to a free download of the audiobook on Audible so that he can actually take that for a spin. Uh, everybody's dream is to have Tony Johnson in their ear while they're on the treadmill. So you too can have that as well. <clears throat> Thank you, Bill. We'll be getting that uh, in an email uh, later on today or first thing in the morning. Uh, but before we, you know, before we, you know, get too far afield here, um, I'd like to jump in and think about something else. You know, higher education is in a crossroads right now. And, and just out of curiosity, if you were to nail down one or two of the biggest challenges you see in the higher education space, and they may or may not be, you know, impacted by coronavirus, it could be something that was already coming down the pipeline. What do you see as, as, as one or two big challenges higher ed's facing right now? Well, I, I know, you know, in Kentucky, uh, particularly, and I don't think it's too much different in most other states, the, the, the financial uh, picture uh, for higher education is, you know, is the, the number one issue. Um, you know, and it, it's kind of funny, uh, we, we look at we look at corporate executives, uh, CEOs of some of the, you know, some of the big companies and, you know, they have a, you know, $10 million salary and they get a $25 million bonus for this or that. And, but yet when people talk about, you know, presidents of, of colleges and universities, uh, you know, Moorhead State University, $150 million business. Well, you know, when when people just get all bent out of shape when they see what the president's salary is and they forget to compare that to a, you know, a, a corporate CEO of the same thing, let alone the fact that that president is responsible for 11,000 students, is responsible for uh, 1,000 employees, and you know, lives in in a in a city like Moorhead because the university is is the one or two of the biggest shows in town. They live in a fishbowl, and you know, they everybody you know watches looks at them. So I think the financial piece of it and making people understand what it really costs to provide education uh, opportunities for our students, and that those students are going to be. Uh, the leaders of the of the world tomorrow, and so we we, we sometimes forget about that. Uh, I think the coronavirus, the COVID nineteen situation, just exacerbates that right now. Uh, you know, you got <clears throat> schools uh, on the west coast, and the Cal the Cal State system has already announced that they're not going to have face to face instruction in the fall. They're going to they're, they're going to do all online. Harvard uh, also announced, although when you got a gazillion dollar endowment, that's it's a little bit easier, right? right. To do things like that. Right, and and that's where I, that, that was going to be my next thing, Tony. Is that a school, you know, a school like Moorhead or a school like the University of Kentucky? Uh, there are so many moving parts uh, to it that you know, yeah, we we talk about uh, you know the auxiliary enterprises, and we don't want to be price gouging or anything. But in the great big budgetary formula, there are pieces of that puzzle that are generated by auxiliary services. 
by selling meal plans, by putting people, putting heads in beds in residence halls, by selling textbooks, by selling merchandise in the bookstore. Those are all pieces of that puzzle that really and truly keep tuition from being higher than what it is because you generate that revenue with the auxiliary piece of it. Well, now you throw into that mix the situation of those kinds of institutions not coming back together face to face and not generating the revenue from selling meal plans, from putting heads in beds, from doing the merchandise in the bookstore, then You've got a re- you just you just increase that revenue shortfall for the overall institution, and what do you have? So, the institutions are going to of of normal size. I say you know like us, you know that, and some of the private schools are really going to struggle if they can't do face to face instruction. In my opinion, I, th- I look forward to seeing kind of where we go and and kind of how we get through that. You know, as secondarily too, you know, you talked a little bit about the community, Bill, and I know that giving back is so important to you. Um, and, and I know that, you know, your work with the, with the Optimist Club, with, you know, with St. Clair Regional Medical Center, even still staying connected to the university and the school boards, you have that reputation of giving back. Why is that so important that, that individuals and maybe even more importantly, businesses have that, that ability to give back to the community? Why does that matter? Well, I, I think, you know, it, as hokey as it might seem is, is, it's the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, that's when all that's the sales. My mom always told me, Bill, to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 you know, that's that that's the simple answer. Is it's the right thing to do, but you know, my my whole life, uh, you know, my family has. I grew up with that. Uh, and when I was a, a young young kid growing up, and you know, in rural eastern Kentucky, my dad was was an attorney, was the county attorney, the county prosecutor. Uh, my mom was was his secretary in his office, and she was the bookkeeper for the local water plant. And when when they brought city water, you know, this is government. I'm 62 years old, so this was this was 50 years ago, but they brought they brought city water. To, to our community, always before everybody had a well or they, you know, got water out of the creek or, or whatever. They decided they wanted to put city water in. My mom and dad donated a piece of land where they, they drilled the first well to provide water for the city of Sandy Hook. And so they dad they just they they had 50 acres of land where their house was they deeded a piece of the of that 50 acres to the water district and they lo and behold they built a water plant and sandy hook had city water well that you know was when i was four years old and i grew up in that small town population 700 people and my mom served on the city council. My dad, like I said, was the county attorney. Uh, we we hosted different fundraisers for groups in the community. And then when I came to college, I joined a fraternity. The fraternity had you know philanthropy work that we did and raised money for for that. I, I'm I married the you know my my love from college, and she has given you know she's given enough for a hundred people with what she's done civic-wise with the Moorhead Women's Club, with the Kentucky Federated Women's Club, with NACA, with all these, the church. And so we, we, as a family, 
we really kind of, of you know, thrive on that giving back. And, you know, with the Moorhead Optimist Club, I, I'm, I'm president of the club this year. This is my third stint as president of the club over the years. And we run a big bingo operation. And with that bingo operation, we provide money for youth in the community to the tune of almost $200,000 a year to fund Little League, to fund youth football, to fund youth soccer, speech teams, uh, theater programs, things that in a community the size of Moorhead, they would really struggle to do if it weren't for that $200,000 that the Optimist Club is able to put into sure. the community. So, so the, those things, you know, it, it, it just, it, it gives me a good feeling to, to be able to do that, to, you know, to, to do a shop with the cops program and see those kids who, you know, might not otherwise have a nice Christmas if it weren't for the money that we provide them through the Optimist Club and with the local police department to take them shopping on, you know, on that Saturday morning before Christmas. So, so th those are all the, all things that, and, and like I said, I, I just, I, I get a good feeling from doing it. And it, it makes me good, feel good that we can give, that we're fortunate enough to give back to the community uh, in those ways. And I love that. And I think from a business standpoint, people can start off with the fact that it's the right thing to do. And then the other benefit I think is, is you get a great reputation in the community, which, which helps with selecting talent and Absolutely. business and all those things. So I, I think that's great. And, and thanks so much for your community. Great works. I, I just, you just can't, we just can't do it without folks like you doing the right thing. So now it's time for our lightning round. The last five minutes, here we go. So five questions, five minutes, Bill, what is your favorite sports team? Uh, college sports would be the Florida Gators. Florida Gators. What was your first job? Pumping gas and cleaning windows at a gas station. What's your favorite food? Now I know that I know that's a that's a loaded question because uh, I've seen you grilling out on Facebook uh, religiously recently. So, yeah. but what is your uh, what is your favorite food? Uh, seafood, primarily anything along the crab area, and there is a restaurant in Lexington that has a soft shell crab BLT. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That is incredible. What about your favorite vacation spot? Any place with a beach. Amen to that. And the final question, what's the favorite job or role you've had? You know, you've, you've had a long career of service, a lot in higher ed, but you've done a lot of other things. What has your favorite role been so far? Because I know you're not done yet, but so far, what's your favorite role? I, I would have to say my, my job in auxiliary services. Um, I got to interact with just a tremendous number of people working with, you know, meeting people like you and through my involvement with NACUS. That, without a doubt, has been the best. That was the best time of my life. Fantastic. Well, folks, that is our show. Thank you so much to Bill Redwine. Bill, thank you so much for being here today and giving us, you're always so generous with your time. Thank you for that. Absolutely, Tony. Just, you know, give me a yell anytime. And so we are folks in the middle of the great service comeback. Please remember, again, I'm offering a 45-minute free consultation. We are offering opportunities to, for folks to thrive and to get out there and reopen with vim and vigor because we are, I think, on the verge of a fantastic economic comeback. We just got to get out there and get it. And those who get there first are going to be the most you know, really best position to own it when it comes to driving great customer service, great sales growth, and great leadership. So get that free consultation. Visit my website at igniteyourservice.com slash comeback. But until next time, please keep your customers the center of everything you do. And thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.
This has been Customer Service Academy Radio with Tony Johnson. Tony is available to speak at your event, meeting, or workshop. Have a powerful customer-focused day.